All right. The Annie Armstrong Easter offering is coming up, and so we're already taking envelopes, passing those out. You'll see envelopes around. That 100% of that money goes to support North American missions, God's work in North America. Today I'd like to talk with you about the topic of who is your one, but more specifically, how to pray for your one. Now some people, many people, are thinking, what, who is the one? Our student pastor this week, a student texted him a message and said, hey, uh, I'm praying for my one. After hearing the message last week, and, and so James replied, it's okay, man, she's out there. Keep praying for God's got a plan for you, or something of that nature. The one is what we, we're doing through the month of April. We are, every single one of us who are believers in our church, we're challenging one another to come up with, to think of one person who you to t- could take an educated guess that maybe they do not know the Lord, come up with that one person and begin to pray for 30 days. Lift that name up to God, that God would save them. God would work in their life. And then also that you would have an opportunity to share the good news with them. And if not you, somebody, somebody could point them to the only one that can save. And then thirdly, pray about inviting that person to come to our Easter service coming up in a few weeks. So all through the month of April, who is your one? So that's a great question for all of us. Who is your one? You may say, well, I'm not so sure about this, this praying for somebody. Well, somebody probably has prayed for you before. And so now it's time for you to be the one to pray for somebody else. I want to invite you to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. One verse I'd like to share. And then we're going to talk about how we can pray for our one. How y'all doing? You doing good? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says these words. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Okay, I want to ask you to to zone in right now on on this this verse. For the weapons, okay, he's talking about weapons. You guys know what weapons are? We have a lot of people in our church have all kinds of weapons. Probably too many. But weapons are all in the Bible. And so we have weapons of our warfare that Paul is talking about. He's not talking about physical weapons. He's talking about spiritual weapons. In the book of Ephesians, there's a list of all these weapons. We have the sword of the faith, which is the Word of God. And it can be a defensive weapon. Just like when Jesus was tempted in the desert, how did He defend against the enemy? For it is written, He swung the sword and defended with the Word of God. It's a, it's a defensive weapon, but it's also an offensive weapon. It is the Word of God that can break down strongholds. It is the Word of God that can melt the hardest heart. The Bible says that the Word of God 
can pierce down to the very marrow inside of our bones, down to the deepest parts of our bodies, the Word of God can get there. We also know that the shield of faith, the Bible talks about, that we can throw up that shield of faith. When the enemy says such and such, we can throw up that shield of faith. But God says, now God said, but it's up to us whether we're going to believe what God has said. And so that faith is how we function every day. It's faith that gets us through. Now the reality is, most people, probably in this room this week, have gotten our rear end kicked spiritually. Because I believe most people here on the coast do not know Jesus. So what we're going to talk about today is this truth. Lost people have strongholds in their life. A person that does not have Christ, in fact, the Bible says that when we are born, every single one of us, no matter what uh, church you grew up in, no matter what state, no matter what nation you live in, the Bible says you are born separated from God. In fact, the Old Testament says, you and I are enemies of God Almighty. Think about that. The king, of, the one who knows your thoughts, the one who flung the stars into space, he is your enemy when you're born into this world. Why? Because you are born a sinner, contaminated, a sickness. And it's a sickness that the doctor cannot help you with. In fact, it's a sickness that even a pastor or priest cannot help you with. Friend, the only one that can help you with this sickness is the remedy of the gospel, and that's Jesus. Jesus came to die for that sin, to pay for it. And so lost people, and I was lost. This is how my life when I was lost, but now I'm found. And many people here, you were lost, but now you're found. Lost people have strongholds in their life. They're blind. They have wrong thinking. Their perception is jaded and messed up. And there's no peace. There's no living hope. There's no internal joy inside of somebody that doesn't know Christ. But today, if you're saved, if you've received Christ into your life, you've been washed, you've been created new, you've been given a new heart. You have a new walk, a new talk, you have a new mouth, you have new ears. You're different. Whether you feel different or not, if you've received Jesus and been born again, you're different. You went from death to life. But if you have no conviction ever whenever you sin, none whatsoever, if you have no desire for the things of God ever in your life, if you cannot hear from God ever when you read the Bible, ever, then you need to have a checkup to find out your spiritual makeup this morning. You need to to check in with God Almighty. Say, Lord, am I good? Am I okay? Do I know you? Have my sins been forgiven? Am I on the right side of this thing? And sadly, so many people, they're not just in God's doghouse or they're in God's time out. Friend, they are in the morgue, dead spiritually. Walking dead all over the Gulf Coast today. Their heart's beating for now, but spiritually, their heart is dead as a doornail. And so that's why we are praying for our one. You see, once you come to know Christ, you join God's global mission to make disciples. And the first step in God's global mission to make disciples is evangelism. It's evangelism, which is the very first part of discipleship. Before you can teach somebody how to walk with the Lord, they have to 
be saved. They have to come to know Christ. They have to make a decision that, hey, you know what? I'm going to turn from my ways. I'm going to receive Christ. I'm going to Justification has to take place in that life. Regeneration has to happen. But once you come into Christ, guess what? You don't just carry on your life as normal, as usual, doing your thing on your mission to accomplish this or accomplish that. No, you lay down all of those things and say, Lord, I lay my life down and I pick up a new mission. I lay down all of my dreams and all of my plans. And God, I want to ask for a bigger vision and a bigger heartbeat and a bigger to-do list. God, that lets me be a part of what you are doing. The problem is we'd like to add tack God onto our life and then carry on and do our to-do list and do our life and find our dreams and do our things. And All the while, God is doing something so much more extraordinary, so much bigger than we are, so much greater than America, so much greater than North America, so much bigger than anything we could ever fathom, and He's inviting us today to come and be a part of it. The first step last week we talked about a go fish evangelism strategy. The G in the go fish stands for get on your knees. Get on your knees. When was the last time that you were on your knees? 2 Chronicles 7.14 is a, a, a popular verse that people teach all the time. It says this, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now think about that verse. If my people... So there's an if there. There's an if. And we are the if today. We are the if. The if is on us. The reality is that God Almighty, the Scripture says that He will, He will hear from heaven. He will heal. He will act. So God has given us a promise in His Word that He will do what He says He will do. But we are the if. We're the if. We have to be broken. We have to get on our knees and humble ourselves and say, God, we have sinned against you, a holy God. Lord, it's on me. Not Hollywood is the problem. Not the politicians are the problem. I'm the problem. You see, revival is not for lost people. Revival is for believers who know Christ. Revival is when God moves upon His people and turns their heart back to the truth and back to Himself. You know, when Nehemiah heard about his nation being in shambles, you know what he did? He fasted and he prayed. He prayed. So that's the very first step. We have to be broken. And sadly, many of us come to church and we think, you know what? The pastor's talking to so-and-so. Boy, tell him, preacher, tell him. Tell that person this and tell that person that. No, God is speaking and He's speaking to us. Every one of us today. And you may think, you know what? I just, I just came to see my friend or I just came because... My mom was on my case and I decided to come to First Baptist Church. No, God brought you here and He's got a word for you. And He wants to work in your life. He wants to show you His oceans of grace and His mercy. So how to pray for your one? I'm glad you asked. Number one, how to pray for your one is this. Pray God opens their eyes to see their sin. That's the first step. Pray that God opens their eyes to see their sin. Psalm 146 says, the Lord sets the prisoners free. Now, we got some prisoners in our church. I know. I'm one of them. 
God has set us free. We were behind bars, enslaved to our sin, but God set us free. And the Lord opens the eyes of the blind, the Bible says. Before someone can be saved and come to know Christ, they have got to realize that they are lost and in need of a Savior. The problem with America is everybody thinks they're okay. Because most of the, the, the experts in life tell them that they're okay. And that life's all about bettering ourselves and making our country better and making everything more comfortable and wonderful and, and yada, 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 yada. But the Bible teaches that we are sinners and need to be saved. We're ignorant. So when a person is, is lost, how I used to be, I didn't want to have nothing to do with church. I didn't want to talk about church. I didn't want to hear the Christian songs on the radio. I certainly didn't want to read my Bible because I was ignorant. I was hostile to the gospel, and that's how you and I were all born that way. We're ignorant. You don't have to. You can have a PhD, but just because you have a PhD does not mean you understand the things of God. If you are lost, John Newton, the famous, uh, he was a captain of a slave ship. He wrote the song "Amazing Grace." John Newton wrote these words. He says in his later life, he says, "Although my memory is fading." I remember two things very clearly. Number one, I am a great sinner. And number two, Christ is a great Savior. So the first step in us trying to reach our one is we have got to pray that God opens their eyes to see their sin. And I would say if you do not have a burden whatsoever for lost people, if during your to-do list, during your day, if it's not on your heart, that you are to be a part of God's global mission of redeeming all peoples to Himself. The Bible says that God wishes for none to perish, but all to come to repentance. And if you're not a part of that, then I would say that we are not right with God. Because that's on God's heart. From Genesis to Revelation, it's on God's heart. That's what He thinks about. That's what He's doing. That's what, you know, the angels are on the earth. Gabriel, he hasn't died. That guy that was there at the Christmas story, he's on the earth. He's doing God's work. Michael, Navy SEALs in the heavenly army, God is sending them out. You know what he's working on? People. God is networking. He's he's answering the prayers of His people to move heaven and earth. So first we have to pray that God opens their eyes to see their sin. Number two, we have to pray... That your one, not my one, your one. I have my one, you have your one. If you don't today, you can say, you know what? I wasn't here last Sunday, but I want to I get on this too. Hey, I want to be a part of it. Well, you need to think of one person that you think may not know Christ. Now, remember, only God knows if somebody's truly saved. We, we don't know. There's no way for us to know for sure, but we can see the fruits of the Spirit of somebody's life, and we can see the fruits of the flesh. And if you're unsure, you know what? I'm, this person may not know Christ, but they're on my heart. Let that be your one, okay? Pray for your one. Number two, pray for your one. Pray that they will hear and understand the gospel. Here's a verse to go with this, Romans ten fourteen. Pray that they will hear and understand the gospel. Romans ten fourteen says this, how will, how will they call on Him of whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in the one that they never heard about. And how will they hear without someone 
preaching. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. Friend, you can take seven showers a day, use the best soap on the market, and you, your feet can be white as snow. You, they can just be smell good. I mean, you can have pedicure every single day. But if you're not bringing good news to lost people, your feet are not spiritually beautiful. They're ugly. Say, Pastor, you talking about my feet? No, I'm not. God is. You see, when you find treasure, and it's abundant, and it's unending, and there's enough for, every, for everybody to get some, man, you want people to know about it. You want people to taste the living water that you have tasted. But the gospel is only good news. Hear me, church. I'm preaching to myself. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. If it doesn't get there in time, it might be good news, but it's not good news for that person. And so we need to pray. This week, pray, God, would you put somebody in their path to share the gospel? And God, if it be possible, let it be me. Let me be the one. It's kind of hypocritical to say, Lord, I'm not going to tell them, but will you put somebody else to run into them and to share the gospel with them? Well, we, we can pray that. I mean, anything I think is better than nothing. God, help them run into the pastor, right? Help them run into somebody. But we need to be willing to say, Lord, I'm scared to death. I'm terrified about talking to people about the Lord. But you know what? If it be me, I just pray you help me to do it. Whether it's me writing a letter whether it's me just praying that uh, a Skittle falls out of a rainbow into their lap and they, they eat that Skittle and just instant revelation. They understand their loss and they believe Jesus is, can save them. But we need to be praying that they hear the gospel. And sometimes it's not you. Sometimes you're not the one that gets to lead them to Christ. Did you know that? Maybe it's a sibling that just will not talk to you anymore. I mean, they're sick of hearing about the Baptist church. They're sick of hearing about the Lord. And, and they're just, their heart's hard and they're just pushed away. And maybe it's not you that needs to be the one that does the talking about the gospel. Maybe you just need to change your strategy. You know what? I'm just going to love on them. I'm just going to be there for them. And I'm going to pray that when they go to the grocery store, that God sends 10 different people from 10 different churches all over the coast to run into them. I'm going to pray that when they flip through the radio stations, that Adrian Rogers is on every single station. God, I, I mean, we need to seek our prayers on people who we think don't know Christ. It works. We need to pray for open doors. We need to pray for divine appointment. We need to pray for miracles. We need to believe that God still works miracles. I prayed for my one this past week. Pray for my one that I'm, I'm praying for. Let me tell you, this guy, I'm looking around, I'm making sure he's not here. But if he is, he's just going to have to hear that he's my one. I prayed for him, and he is a Buddhist. A Buddhist. He texts me this week and asks me to go do coffee with him. Well, that's a miracle. A Buddhist want to hang out with a Baptist pastor. 
That doesn't happen. Right? So there's, that's the only evidence I have for this week that God answers prayer and that God answers, He moves and He performs miracles. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Number three, we need to pray that our one, pray that your one will believe by faith in the only one under heaven which can save them. Pray that your one will believe by faith in the only one under heaven which can save. You see, it's one thing for them to hear the gospel, right? They can hear it. A lot of people hear the. In fact, many of us had to hear the gospel over and over and over and over and over again until it finally clicked. Whoa, you mean I don't have to do anything to be saved? I just need to come just as I am and lay my life down and ask God to forgive me of my sins and He will forgive me totally, completely? He'll save me just by my faith? Yes, because of the gospel. Because Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose again and conquered death, hell, and the grave. Yes, that's all you got. I know it's crazy. It does not make sense. It's amazing grace. If it was not amazing, we wouldn't sing about it. But it is It is amazing. And so they have to hear that gospel, but then they have to repent and believe it. And so we need to pray that that our one will believe by faith in the only one under heaven which can save. You'll notice in your bulletin, you have this this bookmark here, who's your one? And it's got a a prayer guide there. And so if if you want to start doing this, like the first day is John 14, 6, okay? So how would you pray that for your one? Well, you could do this. God, John 14, 6 says that I am the way, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So you can pray something like this. Lord, I pray that my one, say their name. God already knows, but you need to say, Lord, I pray that my one will come to realize that you are the way to heaven. God, I pray that my one will realize that you are the life. Man, you're awesome. God, you're walking with you is better than anything this world could ever offer. God, would you give them, help them see that, Lord, you are, you are so awesome. And God, you love them so much. God, I pray that you'd help them see that you, that you are the truth. God, that as they go on a journey to experiment and search out truth, God, that you lead them to the truth. Not the lies of this world, not the lies of the enemy, but God, the truth. Help them see that, that you love them, that you are the truth. So that's how you can just apply Scripture to your prayer, praying for your one. We have a prayer guide we post on our social media. You can have that as well. There's a few hard copies if you don't do the interweb. I don't like the interweb either. But over here on this table, we've got some printed out, but they're kind of hard to, hard to read. The people that designed this, bless their heart, they just went with the digital to save money. So there you go. All right. Number, and by the way, on number three, here's a verse. If you need a verse to apply to that truth, for those of you that just are, you're, you're type A and you've got to have a verse to go with the truth. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. It is the gift of God. And for by grace you have been saved through faith. And so pray that they will believe by faith. 
Not good works. Not check off all the boxes down at the church. But they'll believe by faith. And number four, and final, how to pray for your one this morning. And then I'm going to share a story about a revival. Number four, pray that we teach the one how to follow Jesus. Pray that we teach the one how to follow the Lord. How many times somebody comes, walks the aisle, prays to receive Christ, God saves them, delivers them, sets them free from all those strongholds in their life, and then they're just step, they're, they're stuck standing at the altar, and everybody's going to eat lunch, and then tomorrow comes, and nobody's checking on them. Nobody's thinking about them. Nobody cares that they've been set free. You see, that, that's not right. People that God's called us to make disciples. You say, well, I don't have time. Well, we need to get time. We need to do whatever it takes to help people when they come to know Christ learn how to follow Jesus. This is called discipleship. Jesus said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You see, you got to follow Jesus before you can learn how to fish like the Lord. You know, we make Christianity a whole lot harder than it ought to be. We make things very complicated. And the Lord says, hey, my burden is light, my yoke is easy, let's go, follow me. I'll, I'll show you what to do, you don't have to figure out anything. And it's easy if Jesus is on the throne of our lives, but it's, it's difficult if Jesus is not on the throne, right? If, if self is on the throne, then it's going to be difficult. Days are going to be really hard. And even if Jesus is on the throne, what makes it hard and harder, there's suffering that's in the New Testament, and we like to omit, but suffering is a part of the Christian life. It makes us depend upon God. And that's a good thing. God really moves when people depend on Him. God's looking for somebody today in the house to say, Lord, I'm weak enough, I need to depend on you. And God will bless that. If we die to self, then nothing can stop us from doing God's will. Think about that. If we die to self, nothing can stop us from doing God's will. Now, let's example. Let's talk about a marriage, okay? Marriage is uh, ordained by God Almighty in the Bible. You don't have to get married, but if you do, it's, it's spiritual. It's when two become one flesh for life. Well, the enemy wants to destroy marriage. Did you know that? He hates marriage. He wants to destroy it. And he has, he's on a secret campaign all over America to destroy marriage after marriage after marriage and family after family after family. And so how do you reconcile? You say, well, so-and-so, this is what they did, and it's horrific, and you, Pastor, you wouldn't believe it. They did... 7,000 times they did this. Is that not the worst, most horrific thing they could have ever done? Yes, it is. And then the other person, well, they did this 10,000 times. And, and so this is the most horrific, horrible, unforgiving thing. It has ruined our family and ruined our good name. And so let's say you got two, two spouses, and that's kind of where they're at. And there's no hope for the future. Don't you just believe, based on Scripture, that if that man... And that woman will totally die to their flesh and rest crucified and say, you know what? I don't want to forgive you, but I'm going to forgive you because God has forgiven me. And I'm going to identify with Jesus. Jesus, 
Though he had rights, you say, well, I've got rights. I'm an American. I've got rights. They can't stomp on me or they can't. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying there's an excuse for, especially if something that breaks the law or, or violent, then there's, that's a different story. But in that marriage, if, if we will die to what we think is right and fair, that's what Jesus did. He left heaven. He gave up his rights. He came to live on this earth lived a perfect life, went to the cross when He didn't deserve it. You say, well, that's unfair. They've done me so wrong. Well, Jesus did no wrong. And He went to that cross willingly for you and for me. And so if this person will totally die to their flesh, if this person will totally die to their flesh, you say, Pastor, the spark is not there anymore. There's no romance. There's no butterflies. Friend, you've been watching TV too long. If you will die to your flesh... And over time, if you will work at it, and you know, love is a choice. Did you know that? Love is a choice. And sometimes the butterflies, they might be there, they might not. But over time, you love because you made a commitment to God Almighty. And that means something. Maybe not in America, but it means something on the earth. And it means something in the eyes of God. And so you decide, you know what? I don't like this, but God's calling me today to confess my sins, and it might take 10 years to get work through this mess. We might have to go to counseling every single week, but God, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get right with you and give this thing a shot. I'm going to give it a shot. Please, give it a shot. God still works miracles. Whether you believe it or not, friend, He works miracles and He wishes to answer prayer. I want to share a quick story about revival and then we'll have our response time. In Scotland, 1949, you may have heard about this, the Hebrides revival in Scotland. There were there was these chain of islands on the European coast where Scotland is and the churches had no young people. And the older people in all the churches began to be very legalistic and it just was dead spiritually. And so these two sisters, two ladies, elderly sisters on the island of Lewis. I want you to see this. This is a picture of them. Now the one on on the left, her name is Peggy. Peggy Smith, 82 years old during 1949. And she was blind. The one on the left, Peggy. Got it? There's Miss Peggy. Peggy Smith, 1949, blind. Her sister is named Christine. She's on the right. She suffered uh, from very uh, strong case of arthritis, and many times she just have to hunch over every time she walks somewhere. Just 84 years old. 84 years old. So you have Peggy and Christine, 82 and 84. One's blind on the left, the other one on the right is, is crippled. And they couldn't go to church anymore. Physically, they just could not do it. So they they began to pray from 10 o'clock to 3 o'clock once a week for five hours. They began to pray for their churches, for their island, for their people, for their communities. And they began to intercede, calling on God. Now just one day a week. And so then one day, they began to pray for a man to be sent. And so then more people begin to pray, and they begin to pray for two hours twice a week in an old barn. 
Tuesday and Thursday, they'd pray for two hours for revival to come. One day, a young blacksmith who was a deacon, he was praying. And he said out loud, he turned to all the elders of this church, it's absolutely humbug for us to be praying like this unless our hands are clean and our hearts are pure. pure." He said, this is a waste of time. And so they confessed before God. And he cried out right there. He said, God, my hands are clean. Is my heart pure? God, if there be any wicked way in me, God, I want to get it right. So people begin to pray on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then they, more people begin to pray. And then they had to get a bigger building. And so then they went to this unheated building in the dead of winter. And they began to pray. And one day, Peggy, on the left, had a vision of God sending an evangelist. She couldn't see his face. And so she tells her pastor about it, Reverend McKay, and he regretfully, he says, okay, uh, Peggy, I'm going to write this guy. So he writes Duncan Campbell, the preacher there in the middle, Scottish evangelist, prayed for him. And wrote him a letter as an invite to come to our community and preach the gospel. Let's have, have a meeting. Duncan Campbell wrote back, declined. He said, I already have some meetings for this date, and it doesn't work. Reverend McKay told Peggy that. She says, Mr. McKay, that is what man is saying. But God has said something else, and He will be here within a fortnight. You know what a fortnight is? It's two weeks. It's 14 days. Now, due to unknown reasons, Campbell's services were canceled, and he shows up in 10 days on a boat. Shows up at the pier. They pick him up at the pier. They walk him to the church at 9 o'clock at night, 9 p.m. Goes to the church. He preaches to a crowd of 300 people. The service ended at 1045 They sensed the power of God. Nobody came to know Christ, but they just sensed God was moving. A young man, as everybody filed out of the church, a young man says, Mr. Campbell, nothing is broken out tonight, but God is hovering over us. He is hovering over us, and He will break through any moment. Then another young man lifted his hands and started to pray, God, you promised us to pour out water on the thirsty and floods upon dry ground, and you are not doing it. Then some things started happening. At 11 o'clock, somebody said, Mr. Campbell, right as he's getting ready to leave, Mr. Campbell, come look at this. Walked outside the church and there's hundreds of people that begin to gather and then hundreds of people begin to file back into the church 11 p.m. at night. There was a dance down the road with 100 young people and they stopped the dance. Finally, God, the Spirit of God fell upon them. And they, they walked down the road and went to the church and hundreds of people began to show up and soon 800 people were packed in. People in the aisles and people began to get on their knees and praying for God to have mercy on their soul. That meeting that night lasted till 4 a.m. At midnight, teenagers began, they, they, they left that party, and nine of those teenagers surrendered to full-time ministry, many of whom are still alive today serving the Lord. Leaving the church around 4 a.m., okay? Someone asked Campbell if he would go to the police station because 300 people had gathered there. Some came in buses from locations up to 12 miles away. When asked why had they come here, they didn't have an answer. They said they had a hunger in their heart to go to the village of Barvis where the church was located. And every night the churches began to have services. Opposition came. Spiritual opposition came. They said Dr. Campbell's shoes were brown and their pastors were supposed to have black shoes. Accusations came from the enemy. People said the doctrine was wrong, that they're teaching about the filling of the Holy Spirit. But not one documented case is anywhere, anybody, any of these churches, any of these moments spoken in tongues out loud. That never happened. There was accusations. 20,000 people came to know Christ in five weeks. 20,000 people in five weeks. Duncan Campbell indicated that 75% of those saved 
during the Hebrews revival were saved before they even got to church building. In other words, on their own, out in their homes, in the streets, in their car. Old debts were repaid. Several of the police courts became idle with no cases to try. This goes on for years. Dr. Duncan Campbell, his secretary for many, many years, was Miss Hester Hester Rendell. She still lives in Memphis today. She lives on the campus of Stephen Olford Center. You can go drive to Memphis and go hang out with her. She is alive and well, and her husband, Ted Rendell, is one of the most best preachers in the world. Traveling all 80-something years old, traveling the world, preaching the gospel. Why do, why do you say that? So that we can realize that this, these are real people, and these, this is really things that happen. It's documented, well-documented. Hebrides revival, look it up. Jesus saves. Do you believe it? So I'm going to ask you, challenge you, challenge myself, that we will pray for our one. God, I want to believe that you can save them. God, give me discipline to pray, to lift up the one that you've put on my heart. You'll see this little card here on this bookmark. And if you want to put your one on that card in your bulletin, if you don't have some, I think we have a few in the lobby. Or you can just grab a scratch piece of paper and jot it down. I'm going to ask you during the invitation time, if, if you're serious and you want to make a public declaration that you're going to pray for your one, that you walk this aisle and you lay this card right there on the altar. You just lay it down. Say, Lord, I lift this person up to you. You don't have to stay and pray. You can come and drop it off. But you're welcome to pray at the altar. We're about to have our invitation time. I trust that God has stirred you, and I hope He has. I hope that you're not that person that says, you know what? Tell them, preacher. (laughs) I hope that God tells them. No, God's speaking to all of us. We are all God's children. He's got a word for us. But at the end of the day, He, in His sovereignty, He allows us to choose who we're going to follow. Did you know that? He allows us to choose to follow Him. And He's looking, His eyes are going to and fro all over the earth, all down every row today in this building. Let's not be distracted by anything right now. Let's focus on the Lord. His eyes are going to and fro, looking for a heart. It says, Lord, I want to get right with You. And God, I want to believe that You're alive. God, I want today, today, as for me and my house, Lord, I can't help anybody else, and I can't control anybody else, and I can't help my country and my state and all these things. But God, as for me and my house, Lord, if nobody comes with me, God, we want to serve You. We want to follow You. Will You be that one that says that today? God, as for me and my house. You, just be honest. Say, Lord, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't even know how to follow You. But God, I, as, for, as for me, Lord, I want to put my yes on the table. God, I want to be a part of what you're doing in this global mission work to redeem all peoples. God, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be obstacles in the way. God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. God's kingdom's on the move. Nothing can stop it. It's been going for 2,000 years. It's rolling on. The kingdom train is going. Nobody's going to stop it. And he's inviting us today. Jump on and hold on for dear life.